Today's episode of The Boarding Pass is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome to another episode of The Boarding Pass with Ken Weeb, myself, Murata Tesh. Today, I'm extremely proud to introduce one of the nicest people in sports, somebody that we've been proud to feature at The Athletic before, somebody who is the voice of the Winnipeg Jets in so many respects. It's Dennis Bayak joining us here on the show today. And on behalf of Ken and myself, Dennis, I'd like to extend a huge and warm welcome. Thanks for joining us. I was wondering who the fourth was after that nice introduction, but thank you. <laughs> well, thanks for I being... I thought you were referencing someone else. Well, come on. the the We should have added an extra <laughs> humble and, and note about your humility as well. I remember it from when we profiled you and Kevin at the site. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to ask, starting right off the hop, what are you doing? What are? It's not golf season yet. What are you doing to stay sane right now? What are your times? How, do you, how are you spending it? I'm reading The Athletic. All the stories that uh, you and Ken Wheat put out there, of the, uh, all the writers I follow, uh, your guys are two of them. Uh, no, I've been doing a lot of reading. Uh, I have read all your stories. Very good work, uh, keeping people informed throughout this thing. And uh, I had an interest in Ken's story on Seattle because of the fact they spent some time in Seattle. So I think there's a little bit of interest there to see what the what their team might look like. I thought uh, Eric DeHatchik and uh, Craig Custance had a great story yesterday on coaches that uh, that I really enjoyed on how coaching has changed. Uh, interesting to hear from uh, Dave King, a coach that uh, I spent some time around years ago. So yeah, other than that, reading some books, I've got uh, Road to Gold by Mark Spector going. Uh, it's about junior hockey, which uh, is very near and dear to me. Uh, I've got a Johnny Bauer book going. I finished up a Johnny Cash book. So, yeah, keeping busy and watching more television than I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> See, you're doing it the productive way. I'm sitting at home and, you know, my book to read list is sort of piling up. Like, I'll admit that the place is, is spotless around here because you got to do something. But... I talk to people every now and again who are just kind of killing it in quarantine right now. They're they're just excelling. They've picked up yoga. They're working on a language. They've got another book going on. You sound a little bit closer to that than me. Ken, how are you holding up this week? And happy birthday from yesterday. Uh, thank you. Thank you to my partner, Marat. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it was a nice quiet day at the, at the Weeb household here for sure. But uh, yeah, you know what? I mean, it's as you know, Marat, I mean, we're it's the time of year that normally we'd be knee deep in playoff uh, writings, but I don't know. It's been, it's been interesting. I mean, obviously we all wish the hockey was being played and that uh, the pandemic was under control and flattening, but uh, it's given us some time to work on some fun projects and a couple more that we have on the uh, horizon that certainly you and I are both excited about Uh, catching up on some Netflix watched, uh, had a little extra time on my hands, so did watch the full three and a half hours of The Irishman uh, 
recently saw Uncut Gems. Uh, last night we spent a little bit of time, uh, you know, uh, on the we were watched the first three episodes of the Hillary Clinton uh, documentary, and lots of uh, interesting stuff to be going on. Been getting out for the occasional walk, but. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, overall, it's been a strange time for sure, but uh, some time to catch up on reading and writing and trying to get those 10,000 steps in every day as well to stay active. So uh, certainly strange times, but uh, we appreciate uh, folks like Dennis who have had a little bit extra time to read, and we want to hear from all those folks on what they'd like to read next. I know you and I just had our, uh, unveiled the inaugural uh, Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame class, uh, some interesting reaction uh, coming out of the gate there and we're a couple hours in yeah, a lot I mean, of a lot of heated comments already that's great <laughs> yeah um, yeah we liked it we knew we knew it would do spark some debate that's for sure i wanted to throw it to dennis about the one of the pieces that you said that you read i mean ken put uh, a lot of work it's a great piece it's a thorough look at who winnipeg could lose to seattle in the expansion draft um, and, you know, Jansen Harkins comes up as a reasonable loss possibility. Adam Lowry seems vulnerable. Winnipeg has enough good players that they're definitely vulnerable coming up. And I'm wondering, uh, Dennis, who do you think might be the most vulnerable or what do you think Winnipeg should do? Well, I really still believe that Kevin Chevaldeoff is going to go the same path that he did with the Vegas Golden Knights. He will do his best to try and dictate or guide uh, as to as to who leaves the roster and, and what all happens. So they do have some players that uh, that will be made available. And uh, I think Ken laid all that out uh, very good in his story. Uh, so now you see what transpires between now and then. And I think everything is kind of getting put on hold as of right now. But, uh, you know, I do believe that uh, there's a number of players uh, that the Seattle team would be interested in. Uh, from, from a lot of teams, including the Winnipeg Jets. So uh, do they lead the charge and, and try and dictate uh, who Kevin Chevaldeoff sends that way? I still believe it's going to be the other way, that I think, uh, you know, I think Kevin's going to lead the charge there and try and try and at least lead them into a direction that, uh, that is beneficial to the Winnipeg Jets. Well, he's got a couple of things to handle, as Ken lays out, because, I mean, Little's contract moves from a full no-move yeah. to a no-trade clause. So if they want to protect Little, it's got to come somehow else. Um, Ken suggests maybe uh, there could be a side deal like what, what Winnipeg did with Toby Enstrom. And actually, Ken, I'll ask you about that first. I, I had a whole sidebar on, on something else, but um, what... Little, Brian Little is in a mysterious and difficult position based on his health, based on his contract, based on so many things. When you try to put together the tea leaves of that, what could you even come up with there? What's going to happen to him? Yeah, it's so tough, Marat. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, we don't we don't know about Brian Little's health. I mean, we've we've seen him occasionally around the rink, and he seemed to be in good spirits in the limited times we were had any sort of FaceTime with him. Uh, I think he's had the surgery by now, but how he comes back from the surgery and we can't ignore the fact that he probably had two concussions in a very short amount of time, a six to eight week span. So yes, this pause will actually help give him, a, I think it's probably a benefit to Brian Little in terms of having additional time to get healthy and see how he feels come September or July or whatever, or June or whatever it ends up being. But first and foremost, he has to be healthy. I mean, he, he could end up in a situation, I mean, you don't want to speculate about these things, but until Brian Little gets back to playing NHL games, there is always a possibility he may not play another NHL game. And that, that 
throws a lot of things into, um, you know, a chaotic state, if you will. I mean, could the Jets benefit from having uh, an extra $5 million on their cap? Sure. But I mean, let's not forget the impact that Brian Little has had on the organization. So uh, he's been a productive player for a long, long time. So I think first and foremost, they want him to get healthy. I mean, I think because of his salary amount, I think that he will most likely be exposed in expansion. Could there be a side deal like Toby Enstrom? And does the loyalty factor play into that a little bit? Maybe, but I, I, maybe the Jets uh, take their chances and think that maybe Seattle doesn't choose uh, Brian Little, who is, you know, has a few more deal years years left on that deal at five mil. It's 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 very intriguing. I mean, could there also be a scenario where the Jets ask Seattle to take Brian Little? I mean, that's certainly a possibility as well. So, but that would also include giving up another asset. So. I think the biggest thing that we learned or most teams should have learned from the last expansion draft is that sometimes it's just best to swallow and accept the fact you're going to lose a pretty good player. Most teams that gave up an extra piece ended up regretting it. So I think that that is something that a lot of NHL teams will put into consideration. Um, I think Kevin Cheveldayoff is probably pretty happy with the way things ended up the last time around. I mean, obviously it was important for them to have Toby Enstrom wave his no movement clause, but I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, I mean, what if, as I mentioned in the story, I mean, this is not revisionist history, but I mean, if the Jets were picking at 13 and decided to choose Nick Suzuki, I mean, would we be talking about the second line center issue that the Jets have been having the last couple of years? I don't know. I mean, it's like I said, obviously with the benefit of hindsight, uh, that's a factor as well. And that's not a knock on Christian Veselainen, who the Jets were more than happy to get where they got him after trading down. But I think in this case, the Jets are probably going to lose a Mason Appleton or a Jansen Harkins, depending on who has the better year next year. Or I also think the other thing that I mean, I didn't even get around to writing. I think, what about Mikhail Burden? I mean, one thing we saw, Vegas loaded up on defensemen, but they also kind of had their eye on a future goalie. I mean, what if, what if Seattle thinks so highly of Mikhail Burden that they go off the board and choose a goalie that could help them down the road? I mean, that that's a factor too that I think that and when I go with version 2.0 of that list, uh, I'll probably try to get into that a little bit further. Well, yeah, that's a, he's a key part of the Ryan future. Little thing. It's yeah, it's, it's Ryan Little's second catastrophic injury. You go back to that at least his second when you go back to that Tampa incident with Anton Strawman a few years ago, and you wonder how that plays a part in this whole thing too, as far as his health is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that. I think about when it comes to the Jets and their expansion draft is, you know, I, I put together a piece to this same sort of um, extent uh, about a year ago. And one of the, you know, towards the end of the forward list, when it came to who might be exposed, um, I, I thought that Adam Lowry was absolutely going to be re-signed and safe at that time. And a, and a player who maybe hadn't quite taken his surge, even though I thought quite highly of him, was Andrew Kopp. And um, I'd say in the year since we first started looking at these at The Athletic, Andrew Kopp himself has probably taken among the biggest steps forward, proving that he's able to play with skill and, and keep the puck in a good area of the ice for him. We always knew he was able to um, always able to play a strong defensive game. He partnered with Adam Lowry so well they could play against anybody. That was established, but I think he's taken a bit of a step forward well, unfortunately, Adam Lowry, between injuries and between um, just the season that he's had in general, may have been eclipsed by, by others on that list, too. So I'm wondering if anybody else stands out for you guys as risers or fallers, or if you have thoughts on Kopp and Lowry. 
Well, I think Adam Lowry will be, they'll do whatever they can to try and protect uh, Adam Lowry. I think if they ever decide that they're going to part ways with Adam Lowry, I, I don't think they want to lose him in an expansion draft because I think he's far more valuable than that. And I think you, the assets in return uh, would be a lot higher if you can get him signed and then make a deal. Uh, I think you could bring back a lot more than what you can by simply losing him to the Seattle franchise in the expansion draft. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in Adam Lowry. I think he means a lot to this team, a lot to this organization. I understand where you guys are coming from with the Andrew Kopp and the Adam Lowry comparison, and that's legit, but I do believe that uh, they will do whatever they can to try and protect Adam Lowry. Yeah, and for me too, I mean, uh, the, the only thing that I would see is do they try to wait on Lowry? Uh, do, they, do they roll the dice and just, you know, not, not say hint, hint, nudge, nudge, we're going to sign you after the expansion draft, but... Uh, I mean, it's possible that they, they don't, exp I mean, they would expose him as a UFA, but they wouldn't protect him. Uh, that I could see being a possibility, but I mean, I'm with Dennis. I mean, we know that Adam Lowry is a favorite of Paul Maurice. Uh, he brings a lot of value beyond the traditional stats and metrics. And I could easily see a scenario where he's re-signed this summer and, you know, the Jets protect him. But I mean, that's going to, that would also mean that there's probably going to be some action on Jack Rosovic, which we know is a legitimate possibility. And if the Jets don't add a defenseman in free agency, Jack would be one of those guys. I mean, we've talked about it all year. I mean, the Jets, I don't think, are actively shopping him, but he would be a player that would be of interest to teams that might have uh, an excess of defensemen uh, that would be available via trade. So, And I also, th I'm with you, Murad, 100% on COP. I, I, I don't see any scenario. I understand that... Andrew Kopp will be one year away from free UFA, just like Jacob Trouba was. But uh, I'm expecting that Andrew Kopp to be part of the long-term core of this group. And I, and I think that he'll sign a long-term deal eventually, whether that's this summer or next summer uh, after expansion. But I would expect both those guys to be with the Jets for a long time. They're valuable pieces. And beyond just playing together and being penalty killers, I, I see them both being having the type of leadership qualities that the Jets are looking for in, in the long term. Yeah, and I don't think it would be unfair at all to say that Winnipeg prioritizes character and those types of disposition that they have, especially as you guys are talking about Lowry and specific, particularly, I, I've had so many uh, conversations with Paul Maurice about the way that he sees Lowry and the way that Lowry loves playing specifically in Winnipeg and why that means so much to them. As an organization, that's a priority from top to bottom, I, I believe. Um, Dennis, I, Ken and I have talked a little bit about the possibility of Jack Rosovic as trade bait, not because of any criticisms on the player. Actually, the opposite, Dennis. We think he's good enough that people around the league might be interested in him and be willing to part with the defenseman good enough to help Winnipeg out. Uh, do you think there's any truth to that? Well, I think there's truth to the first part of it with Jack Rosovic uh, not being expendable. I think that's too easy of a term to throw out there, but... Anytime you're in his situation where you have been around this organization for a short time and yet in ways a long time, and yet he has not been able to solidify himself uh, in the top six, uh, at times he's not even in the top nine, uh, kind of jumps around from place to place, and this is not a knock on Jack Roslovic, but he's had trouble finding a regular spot on this roster. Uh you know, so eventually what happens is some of the younger players, and we saw it with maybe with Jansen Harkins this year, some of those younger players come along and 
organizations look at it and say, okay, is it time for this guy to be given this opportunity? And then it's who grabs that opportunity. I think we're all in agreement here that Jack Roslovic has been given opportunities to grab positions that, that, that he covets, whether it be a top six or, or a regular line, whatever the case may be. Uh, and I always go back to Kyle Connor. When Kyle Connor was given that opportunity, when Matthew Perot got hurt and they recalled Kyle Connor, he grabbed that opportunity. And very quickly, you could see that Kyle Connor was never going to be anywhere except in a top six. There's been the odd time where he's been bumped around for the most part. He's been in that top six as a regular. And yet uh, Jack Roslovic hasn't been able to grab that opportunity with him. Yeah, I think there's an inconsistency that appears in, in Roslovic's game to me too. For for me from time to time, and I'd agree with you, Dennis, I see a guy that can jump into the top six. And, you know, there were some stints with Wheeler and Ehlers there where Roslovic was really looking like he had um, had achieved kind of that next step. And then uh, kind of in, in Paul Maurice's lingo, he, he comes off it for a few games. It's not 100% uh, of his games, like in, in the same sort of way that you would expect you know, you kind of know what you're getting from Blake Wheeler night in and night out. And then other times when Jack Roslovic is on the wing in particular and playing sometimes with um, with uh, more of two-way players, I start to wonder like, hey, he's got some serious hustle to him. And as a winger, his reads are clean and I could actually see him being part of a, a checking line despite his offensive ability as well. And then sometimes a few games will go by and that um, you know, he'll miss something that normally he would get or something to that. So I guess the part that I'm agreeing with is I haven't quite figured out what Jack Roslovic is for the Jets going forward. I think he's young enough and good enough that um, that he could be a lot of things still. It's not me writing him off, but I haven't quite sorted him out in my mind. Um, I want to interrupt you, you gentlemen as well, um, just to, to remind all the, the listeners out there that um, the Athletic, throughout all of the leagues being paused, is still coming at full bore. Um, the tournaments have been canceled. Dennis, I want to ask you about the Memorial Cup in, in, in an awful hurry. But there hasn't been a live game on TV in these last couple of weeks, feel like a year, even though it's barely been um, as long as it has. And so we're still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there at The Athletic and in these very strange, very uncertain times. They're all still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories, just like the ones we were talking about that Ken um, loved your expansion draft piece. I know I'm lucky enough to know a couple of things that you're working on. I've got a couple of features that I've been waiting on forever, but it's league-wide and sport-wide. Um, like the one about Brazilian soccer legend Ronaldinho being in a Paraguayan jail right now. Or how about the situation between Todd Gurley and the Rams and that being beyond repair? Well, how about minor league baseball players getting financial support from their big league counterparts or not? It's league-wide, sport-wide. We still have you covered. So it's during times like this that we can help you keep connected to the teams, the athletes, and the sports you love. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash pass, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us to sports, they don't go away. And once again, that's theathletic.com slash pass for 40% off an annual subscription. Hope to see you there. Um, 
And with that said, Dennis, there, I, I think this is the first time it will ever happen. Correct me if I'm wrong. There will be no Memorial Cup this year. And I know you've been part of them before. Uh, what can you say about that? How's that feeling for you? Well, I think it's 102 years since uh, the last time there was no Memorial Cup awarded. And uh, you feel for everyone involved, and yet you understand why they're doing this, why they have made this call this early, because it's very difficult if you're a volunteer, if you're involved in it, as the Kelowna Rockets were this year, as the Western Hockey League was, it's difficult to wake up every morning wondering, is today the day that it's going to get canceled? And eventually uh, the powers that be made that decision. And it's, it's such a terrific tournament. Uh, I mean, I've had the privilege of chairing a couple of them, uh, one in Saskatoon in 1989, where uh, we had the bigger building, we had the new building, we kind of took the Memorial Cup with, with the help of the Western Hockey League and the Canadian Hockey League, we kind of took the Memorial Cup to a different level as far as attendance, as far as an awards banquet uh, and, and all that. And it was just an absolute terrific, terrific week in Saskatoon. And maybe that's where I first realized the importance of volunteers and how dedicated they are because we had such a terrific group in Saskatoon, uh, we ended up losing with the Blades. We ended up losing in the uh, in the final in overtime to the Swift Current Broncos. And then in 1992, I was involved with the Seattle Thunderbirds, and I chaired that Memorial Cup there as well. And a totally different atmosphere than what we had in Saskatoon. Uh, everything was going along well in Seattle. We had a lot of funding that we needed from a lot of big businesses that were kind of learning what junior hockey was all about. And then... I'll make this story brief, but it came to light the other night. TSN, they had the O.J. Simpson Made in America story, and this was actually part of that story, how the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles affected our Memorial Cup in Seattle. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Seattle Supersonics were involved in an NBA playoff series, and when the riots happened in Los Angeles, they ended up rescheduling some of the L.A. games that messed with our schedule. And I remember uh, all of our staff in Seattle, uh, we had to rework tickets and credit to the Seattle uh, you know, Thunderbird season ticket holders. They gave up their tickets for the Ontario and the Quebec game so that all those fans could get jammed from a, a bigger building because we had to play one game in the smaller building. So uh, our people, our ticket people basically worked all through the night so that when morning rolled around, people could kind of get their tickets and, and that, but uh, you know, that was just a sidebar to, to some of the Memorial Cup stories that are out there, but it's a, it's an absolutely terrific tournament. Uh, I feel for the players, uh, you feel for the organization, the Kelowna Rockets that were involved, the Western Hockey League, the volunteers, everybody. But I think when you look at big picture, it's something that uh, was made for the good of everyone. Yeah, no doubt, Dennis. Uh, just one more quick WHL thought before we get back to the Jets. Uh, also, knowing your goalie background, love to know your thoughts about Connor Hellebuck. But, uh, you know, looks like Connor Bedard will be coming to the Western League and will become the first uh, uh, exceptional status player being granted since the rule was put into effect. We know there were some 15-year-olds that played there earlier. Uh, I mean, what, what do you think that will do for the league? And what does it mean for John Paddock and the Regina Pats to have a player like that? We know that Matthew Savoy uh, was a guy who played a little bit with the ice this year, but was not granted exceptional status last summer when he tried to get the same thing with the Winnipeg ice. Well, that's not an easy decision that that committee makes because uh, you're not just looking at a hockey player. 
you're not just looking at what this young player does on the ice and say, yes, his talents are good enough to play in the Western Hockey League. There's so much more involved in this. Uh, you're taking a, a 15-year-old and you're throwing him into a league that has 20-year-old players. How is he going to handle that on the ice? How is he going to handle that off the ice? What does this do to his schooling? Uh, what does this do to him growing up? Uh, everything along those lines uh, gets taken into consideration here. So uh, not an easy decision. Uh, he's an exceptional, exceptional player from what I understand. And certainly, uh, you know, for the Regina Pats, uh, you know, I think any team that has the opportunity to get a player of this talent on the ice, uh, I think it's a huge, huge day for that organization. Uh, but I just know that a lot goes into this decision to uh, to make that player an exceptional player and allow him to go play in the Western Hockey League at that young of an age. Uh, there's always concerns. There's always concerns. I mean, we've had 16-year-olds that, that I've seen get hurt, uh, and, and you wonder, okay, was his body ready to play in the Western Hockey League? And, and I know the game has changed from what it used to be and, and those sorts of things, but it's still a physical game. Uh, you know, but we wish, certainly wish the, uh, the young man, nothing, but, uh, nothing, but the best I have the utmost respect for the people that make those decisions. And, uh, you guys well know that the Western hockey league and junior hockey is near and dear to me. Ken touched on, I'll, I'll just jump right into this too. Ken mentioned the name of Connor Hellebuck and while we still got you and we still have some time, um, you've seen him come up, you talk to him often, you're around the room. Um, you, you've, you've been following his progress for a long time. This particular season, it's different than 2017, 2018, isn't it, Dennis? Because not the team wasn't quite the juggernaut, and Hellebuck's getting it done anyway. Um, so how good is this, or is it not? Maybe there are other things that I'm missing here. Uh, we're starting to make a case for him as a Vezina Trophy winner, and there's even some whispers that he might get some votes for the heart as well. And I'm wondering if what you see in him and what level you think he's going to hit, if, if this is realistic to you. Well, I think on the athletic polls, he's not a clear-cut winner as far as the Vezina was concerned. The thing that's interesting with Connor Hellebuck to me is how his persona has changed. Uh, you know, we're seeing way more emotion in Connor Hellebuck than what we did. And some of that's just going to come with being comfortable and with maturity. And he talks about uh, about maturing. I mean, you guys have talked to him as much as, as anybody has and, and how he's evolved as a goaltender. And, but it is interesting. And you made a great point there, Murad, about how this team is so different than what it was back, you know, when he had the great run in 17, 18. And, and I go back to the start of this year. And I, and I do believe that you can, you can understand or try to understand what you're going into and, and look at video and, and discuss it with people as much as you want. But I think there's still things until you see them, until they actually happen, uh, you don't realize the magnitude of them. And I'm, I'm referencing the different defense core that the Winnipeg Jets had this year at the start of the year versus what they were last year. And I do believe early in the year, that was a huge learning experience for everybody, but maybe more so for Connor Hellebuck than anybody else. The realization of we don't have Dustin Bufflin, we don't have Tyler Myers, we don't have Jacob Truba, we don't have Ben Sherratt. What is this defense group going to look like? You know, and then Nathan Beaulieu gets injured in the final preseason game, so that changes things. So I think that first four-game road trip for the Winnipeg Jets, and even the month of October, I believe it was a huge learning experience for everyone, 
and maybe no one more than Connor Hellebuck. And I think at that point in time, uh, he realized just how important he was to this team and the success of this team going forward. And I think he seized that opportunity. He relished the opportunity and, and he's taken the ball and he's run with it. Yeah, it's been impressive for sure, Dennis. I mean, even Murata, I can remember. I, I think of Dennis talking about that first trip, and, and I can exactly what I was going to ask you about. So, so good. clearly, so clearly, on the phone. I'm out for a walk in New York City on that first road trip. We're on the phone talking and talking about how hardcore I should be going on on what's going to happen in Game Three. Who's getting the start? The Jets have gone back to back. Brassois plays very well. Hellebuck struggled. I mean, what are the Jets going to do? And lo and behold, we find out that Lauren Brassois gets to start in game three. I, I loved Connor Hellebuck's reaction that he was trying to sell in Pittsburgh, that it was no big deal and he was totally fine with it. But deep down, it was the right, it, it was the right message to send. I was not one of those people that said this is an all-out goalie controversy on game four. But I, I, I love the way that A, Paul Maurice put the gauntlet down to Dennis's point of reminding Hellebuck how important he need, he is to this team and B, how Hellebuck has since responded. And uh, he must sit back, uh, you know, maybe he's not this kind of person, but if I was in that situation as him, I would be sitting back and thinking, oh, you guys thought I was going to lose the job in game three, did you? Now I just put together a Vesna and potential <laughs> heart caliber season. I mean... I, I don't think Connor Hellbuck is like that, but you could certainly imagine if he was feeling some of those sorts of things. Well, he's a fiery guy. He'd be entitled to that feeling, wouldn't he? And, and he told you right off the hop that he liked his game in a, in a moment that ne- wasn't necessarily a great game after game one. Um, and, and he sort of had to balance being um, knowing his role, learning his role, learning how the defense has changed and sort of projecting strength even when it wasn't always that and and then growing into it and then just going off in November uh, when I think he really started to take over for the for the season. Um, guys, I, I want to just keep talking, but we're at time already, it feels like. Um, uh, Dennis, thank you so much for taking time to be here. Uh, absolute pleasure for us. Um, I'll speak for Ken on that one too. It, it's been great having you. Um, what can we look for for you on TSN in the next little bit? Well, I'm hoping that we're going to have some summer hockey. I've been, uh, everybody I've talked to, my belief is that there's still going to be a Stanley Cup presented. Uh, I can, in my mind, uh, you try and keep tabs as to where this pandemic is is sitting right now, what might happen, and certainly uh, I'm no medical person, but the hope right now is that uh, you see Mark Cuban talk about maybe the NBA getting going in May. Uh, that might be a little bit, uh, you know, unrealistic, but I can see uh, maybe this, maybe this is hoping more than, than anything else that uh, we see a training camp, a short three, four day training camp uh, sometime early in June. And I believe the regular season is going to get played out. I just think there's too much at stake. You've got Arizona sitting uh, four points out with eight home games. Washington, Carolina, Colorado, Calgary, I think, are the other ones that all have eight home games remaining. That's one-fifth of your home schedule. That's just too much revenue to leave out there, to have to try and do something with your season ticket holders, do something with your advertisers. So uh, I I still believe we're going to play this summer, and and, uh, come middle of August, I can see a Stanley Cup being presented 
And, uh, but I do think that uh, first and foremost, the importance I think is to, to see uh, the regular season uh, play to completion and uh, let the top six teams sort it out and then kind of go from there, even if you have to shorten the Stanley Cup playoffs down to best of fives. You're speaking to my dreams right now. I, I, I got to say the idea, uh, we got a question on, uh, on Ken and I, we had a Q&A yesterday, and one of the questions was, is there any reason maybe they shouldn't award the Stanley Cup after everything that's happened? And I got to say, just thinking about it after everything that's happened this year with the shutdown, if things are able to resume well and safely and there are playoffs and there is a Stanley Cup, for me, in a weird way, it's going to be one of the most meaningful uh, trophy presentations of my time following hockey. So I, I love hearing that that's what you're hoping for and continuing to believe in as well. But there I go talking. We've gone over time. Um, Ken, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. So happy birthday once again, Dennis. Thanks so much for spending time, and maybe we'll be able to twist your arm and get you back on here someday. Absolutely, I love hockey, talking hockey, and you two guys are uh, as good to talk hockey as anyone. So keep up the good work, you guys. Love your reads. Thanks, Dennis. Ken, let's close off by talking about our Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, This one took a little bit of debate between you and me to get it down to five men and five women who represent Manitoba over the past 25 years. And we worked hard on this. Um, I want to talk to you specifically. Let's start this off, actually. I want to tell me about Corey Kosky, somebody you knew well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Corey is a great human being, first and foremost, but uh, had the privilege of playing against him in the Manitoba Junior Baseball League when he was with the Elmwood Giants and also fortunate enough to play with him on the provincial development team back in Brandon in 1990, uh, where it was you know, one of the <laughs> most enjoyable lineups I've ever been a part of. Scott Halady, uh who went on to play for the Canadian national team, hit leadoff, I hit second, uh, Corey Kosky hitting third, and Troy Fortin, uh, who also was drafted by the Minnesota Twins and uh, was proud to be a teammate of his. Uh, those That was the top four in the batting order. It was a pretty uh, fun group. But uh, we ran into Marty Murray, uh, former NHLer, and he uh, shut us down in the final. But uh, Corey was an incredible uh, all-around athlete, great volleyball player. He was a goalie for the Selkirk Steelers, played volleyball at the University of Manitoba, but ended up going to Boone College to, to play baseball and pursue that dream and ended up getting drafted by the Minnesota Twins and ended up being incredibly productive, you know, probably one of the best Canadians to ever play the game. I mean, nine years in the majors and unfortunate that his career was cut short by uh, concussions, but uh, just an incredible human being and a very humble guy that ended up uh, being, you know, he's the only born and raised Manitoban to ever play in the majors and I think people sometimes forget how good a player he was, uh, first with the Minnesota Twins for a long time, then with the Milwaukee Brewers and Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, just an incredible human and have some links to Ed Belfour. Uh, he was a goalie partner of my cousin Dwayne Dirksen back with the Winkler Flyers and also with Jim Dick, who is uh, the brother of one of my best friends uh, from Altona. And fortunate enough to meet Eddie over the years and, uh, you know, fourth all-time in wins. I mean, here's a guy from Carmen, Manitoba, who became one of the best goalies of all time as well. And if you look at that list of incredible women that we inducted as well, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to know Jennifer Bottrell a little bit and followed her career. And I was actually in Vancouver in 2010 in the stands for that gold medal uh, winning performance uh, during a year for her that 
included some trying times, but uh, when it came down to the most important game of her career, she set up the game-winning goal from uh, Marie-Philippe Poulain. And, uh, it was it was very cool to to be in the building for her final international game after that just an incredible career that included four Olympics and a ton of world championships, two world championship MVPs, and two Patty Kazmaier awards. So uh, it's an impressive list, and we want people to remember that it, it, it's just the beginning. These were only the first ten that we talked about. It was meant to spark some discussion and debate, and it looks like it's already done so. And and we'll look forward to discussing many more of these athletes. Uh, I know you had a special story, too, when it comes to your uh, passion for uh, the other kind of football. Uh, why don't you share that one as well with our uh, listeners before we wrap her up? Well, for sure. There are, there are moments uh, in sport that just kind of connect you emotionally. And for me, uh, for me, Desiree Scott um, in the bronze medal game against France uh, at the Olympics in 2012, um, there's a corner kick. France was just shelling Canada at this point. It was a, a tremendous performance by Aaron McLeod by the back four as well, including Desiree Scott. Uh, there was a corner kick corralled just outside the small box. Uh, shot was labeled for the corner. It had beat McLeod, and uh, Desiree Scott made a lightning quick last second read to just lunge and get a, get a leg on it, clear the ball off the line. That was nil-nil in the 70th minute. 20 minutes left, Canada comes back, or, and then in extra time, um, is, is able to put the winner and, and win Canada's women's first ever medal in Olympic soccer. And for me, that clear uh, just gets me like fired up, absolutely electric. It's up there for me with uh, gold medal winning goal. It's with it's with the Crosby goal. Um, it's with some of the finest moments, even as a kid watching up. I think, you know, I, I shouldn't tell everybody, but I mean, I grew up as an Oiler fan, right? I, I was a kid. And so when Todd Marchant scores the game seven goal in 1997, um, for me, that uh, just elation to the point of not being able to control myself anymore, jumping around. It's the same, uh, it's the same tier of sports memory for me. And so it was, uh, you know, I was definitely proud to write uh, a little paragraph about Desiree Scott for, uh, for our piece. Um, uh, it, it's also, it warmed my heart to see how many former Bisons, including Desiree Scott, were, were included. Izzy Adonijay was a, another good example of that. Um, but like you say, we, we worked hard. We kept it to 10. We're going to uh, get this thing growing, and we're going to go past the, the 25 years. So if you're out there and you're, you know, you're, you're thinking about Bobby Clark, or, Bobby Clark or Terry Sawchuk, let me enunciate these things correctly here. They'll get on there. They'll absolutely get on there. There's so many great Manitoban athletes to celebrate. Uh, and we're uh, we're really just having fun with it. It's been a, a great uh, a great thing to talk about at this time, I would say. And so, um, speaking to the times as well. I hope everybody out there is staying safe. Um, take care of yourselves. Wash those hands. Stay away from from crowds. Stay, uh, do the social distancing thing. Uh, the sooner we all get through this, the sooner we have a Stanley Cup to award. And and really, for me, that would be an absolute dream way to finish off the summer. Um, so for Ken Weeb. This is Murata Tesh. This has been the Boarding Pass. Rate, subscribe, make sure that you're following us on all the ways and uh, all the ways that you follow podcasts. Uh, and uh, until next week, guys, have a great time.